10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Ohio Women's Friday. And a couple seconds ago, Brandon freaked me out. Um, intro, and nothing you hear behind goes over the air. And I hear this 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 8. I'm like, oh my goodness, who is that? It was Brandon. So, hey, thanks for waking me up, Brandon. Uh, it's Friday, January 29th. Brandon, how are you guys doing today? Doing great. Uh, I'm amused already. I think I can call it a day on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, well, he woke me up. I mean, five minutes ago, I'm like, oh, I'm going to drag today. But now, now I'm woken up, I'm ready to go. So, hey, I'm just telling you guys, um, you know, I work with Gannett, Ohio. So, we track a lot of these stories throughout the day, and about 3.30, I'm like, man, what are we going to talk about? Not much is happening. And then from 3.30 to like 4.30, everything was going on. So we'll talk about some of the breaking news that happened in Ohio over the last day. And first of all, in Columbus, and again, I know it's one of the cities, but Columbus has played a really big role in policing. Uh, sadly, there was a uh, shooting of an unarmed black man uh, in Andre Hill, and uh, because of that and some other things, Columbus is now looking for a new police chief. As uh, Thomas Quinlan is out as the Columbus police chief, this happened late yesterday um, after discussion with the mayor, um, Mayor Andrew Gith Gither. And it it's kind of interesting. Um, he's not out of the police department. He's going to become a deputy chief. But, um, you know, the mayor was saying, hey, we need a little bit of new direction here. Um, I don't know. Bring I think, you know, after what happened, sometimes even if it had nothing to do with Quinlan, you know, when you had that shooting of Andre Hill, it's bad. And, you know, sometimes when stuff like that happens, there needs to be a change. I'm wondering how much change is this going to mean, just like the change of one person? Is that going to lead to a better police department? Or is that going to lead to better relationships between, you know, people? I, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I... I, I'm not. I'm it's a little hard to say. Say sorry, um, um, because I think that how many how many heads heads of the police department have we changed so far? It's, it feels like a couple times already, or whatnot. Um, and so I don't know how much of a top down, um, all the you know, approach will be to you know just by putting someone new in the position, they're still going to have the same challenges and problems that problems and. You know they're still going to have like the same kind of culture for the most part. I mean, it, it that's if you're looking for someone who's going to be able to change the culture. I mean, um, I guess that's what I, my first question <laughs> would be in the interview process is how have you changed the culture? And name one way you've changed the culture in, in where you worked at before. I mean, I don't know how to, but I don't know how deep that would run, and I don't know if, if we'll um, see. Um, less of these kinds of incidents. Yeah, it, it, Craig, it was interesting. A, a couple of years ago, um, you know, Quinlan was chosen. Let me get that exact date. Well, actually, I take that back. He was actually chosen in December of 2019. So he was only the chief for just over a year. Uh, but he was uh, chosen over a former Seattle police assistant chief. And the story talks about how this uh, Seattle chief was black, and uh, Quinlan was white. Um, obviously, there are some race concerns, that, which led to the um, with the Andre Hill shooting and everything else. I, I'm wondering if Columbus looks for a chief of color. Yeah, I think there's ways that that would definitely help. But uh, do you think that's the only step, or is there more steps that uh, Columbus should take that are proactive to trying to solve this issue? Well, I don't think it's the only step. I think it's a step in the right direction. But, you know, like Brandon said, it's, you know, you're, you've got to change the culture, not just, you know, having a person of color being in charge, but, you know, you have to change the culture. It starts from the top bottom, you know, top down. And you need someone that's going to come in and, and make changes. And it may not be sweeping changes. You know, you're not going to just fire everybody and restart the, the you know, the department. But, you know, there needs to be reform. You know, they need to actually seek reform. They need to seek better training methods, you know, better use of force. You know, it just it just seems like it's been a failure, you know, these last this last year. And, you know, 
it's one of those things where maybe it's this police chief is the outgoing police chief's fault. Maybe it's not. At the end of the day, you know, when you're the sort of the quarterback of the team, you're going to get all the blame and all the uh, praise. And in this case, you know, we don't really know if there's been indications that the department failed because of his leadership or if it's just because these officers were just, you know, bad people or made mistakes. But, you know, he's the one that's going to have to pay for it. And, you know, they're, they're keeping him in the department. So I don't know if that means that they, they they want him around or they just can't get rid of him or whatever. But, you know, it's it there's an entire mindset that needs to change, not just the position needs to change because you can swap out, you know, this this person for another person or a person of color or a woman or a woman of color. At the end of the day, you still need to have change within your department. The people that are you know on the ground, the boots on the ground need to change, whether it's their way of thinking, their use of force, or just how they're trained. I think it just starts from that rather than just the, the leader of the group. Yeah, I want to make sure. I think I probably spoke a little bit out of context. I don't necessarily think Columbus has to feel like they have a like a responsibility only to choose someone of color or some you know type of minority. I would really hope that you know they have a civilian review board that's coming on now. I would hope in, in terms of the leadership, not just the chief, but in the leadership of the department as well as the um, you know the upper leadership of you know, the civilian review board, that there is a decent number of people of color represented. And I don't have that information in front of me. That's my hope. And Brandon, I think that would only make sense, right? Yeah, it seems like that would make sense. Um, we'll have to, time will tell kind of kind of thing. Um, I think biggest thing, the uh, common theme for all from all the protests and from all the anger we've seen over these kinds of police uh, brutality incidents is just, there does there's the lack of trust in our justice system. Like there's right. doesn't seem to be a trust in the fact that we don't have that these officers to appear not to have like you know there's no accountability. You know there's like they're not going to be held accountable for these kinds of incidents. At least you know objectively, fairly, it there there needs to be some changes in that in that if there were changes in at least that if there were changes where. Um, where we're not relying on maybe an attorney general or a district attorney or the or like uh, um, who probably work on and off with these kinds of people on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. I think that's the crux of the issue. Is just like um, is is that's what I think people have been calling for. Really, what's really gotten people angry, I think, is just how it all kind of gets. It feels like it gets swept under the rug. Um, right. You know, because everything of the all these kinds of cases go through grand juries, they get presented by the um, by um, some sort of government paid lawyer, you know, or government elected, unelected lawyers, uh, excuse me. Um, and that system's not as appear in this when it comes, but when it comes to people on the government payroll, that that it's no wonder like this feels like it's being swept under the rug. So I feel like they need it. They, it just seems like a, a conflict of interest still there. Um, it needs to be, and that just needs a lot of tweaking and a lot of more, bring in someone more impartial. I think that's just, I think that's what people at the end of the day would like to see more is, is like something that some system where there's more impartiality, more accountability, or at least more potential for accountability. Cause right now it just doesn't feel that way. It seems like a lot of, a lot of benefit of the doubt is just given to police officers. So. And I think it was interesting from the reporting from a dispatch, um, you know, there was some tensions, um, you know, obviously after the shooting of Andre Hill uh, between um, the mayor's office as well as um, Quinlan's division. And, you know, I, I think it would be wrong. This, I, I, obviously, I don't think Quinlan was supporting what the police did. But it was interesting. Like, right after um, Andre Hill died, you saw the mayor. I mean, the day the morning after it happened or, or the day after it happened, you know, the mayor's out doing a press conference saying, Hey, this is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, they didn't have the bo you know, body camera on and everything else. And, you know, based on the reporting I'm seeing here uh, today from the dispatcher, we're talking about how, you know, the police chief was really noticeably absent. You know, you would think that, you know, in a sign of support for, you know, the mayor saying, Hey, you know, this guy needs to be fired that at least the police chief would stand there. And they said it was, it was odd how, 
the police chief wasn't there at all. And, um, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. And, you know, he finally released a statement via video, and it seemed to be a little bit more tepid and everything. So I, I don't know. I, I was watching on – I hate to compare life to TV shows, but my wife is into the working. It's, it's a show on ABC that talks about a police guy, and they were addressing the, um, the idea of, you know – just treating people of color with without respect, you know, on the police force and stuff like that. And I, and I see a lot of similarities. It's tough. And I, I don't know, Craig, you know, we talk about, you know, changing police departments or, you know, defunding police departments and everything. And, and I, I totally agree. Maybe we need to take a look at even how we pick our police chiefs a little bit different. And, you know, just picking a police chief has 50 years of experience isn't always the answer it, it, trying to find a different way of doing it because I, I really think it goes back to police departments are way too protected. Um, you know, unions protect these guys where when there is trouble, it's hard to get rid of the bad police officers. Yeah. I mean, every, you know, obviously these are, you know, union contract jobs and, you know, it, it's, you know, you see these, these police brutality, you know, issues or incidences and shootings and you, you end up seeing a lot of cases that don't, you know, initiate any indictments, which is is very strange because, you know, it seems like anytime you want an indictment, you can get an indictment. You know, the old saying is you can indict a ham sandwich if you really wanted to. And yet a lot of these police brutality cases get left on the floor. And I think it frustrates a lot of people because, you know, a lot of people are aware that you can almost indict anybody. You know, you don't have to prove anything theoretically during these indictments you just have to show that there's a little bit of evidence against them and you know we, we don't see that with these cases so there's a lot of frustration and it grows and grows and grows and it's festered for months and months and months now and you know there's really just nothing else to do other than make changes at the top but again it just goes back to it's it's easy to to change out swap out a police chief for another police chief and you know based on what i've seen with this you know with, with quinlan you know he's been in the department for years now you know maybe it maybe it wouldn't be bad to take a you know the, the seattle police chief you know option or another person maybe coming out from the outside looking in to give this uh, department a, another set of eyes and a different look and a different view of how the department's run um you know like you said you know it's maybe it's not a great idea to, to promote that person with 50 years of experience just because they've been in Columbus and they know Columbus. And, you know, it, sometimes it's, it's better to find someone that fits the job better. And, and I think someone a little bit more progressive and thinking and, and training and, and getting their people on the same page. And, you know, you're always going to have bad apples in every profession and, and police are no different, but they've got to find a way to, execute better models of training and, and how these people interact with people, excessive force, you know, it just, it, it's got to start from the culture of how you train your officers and what your expectations of those officers is. Well, I, I think back to the Andre Hill shooting, I think back to the shooting in, in my area of the unarmed um, person of color that is, um, now again, that was by the Franklin County, uh, Franklin County Sheriff's Department. It was a different department, but we've had two in Columbus, and it's crazy. I'm not for just charging people just to charge people, but I mean, these have been weeks and it's starting to be months with the other situation. Nobody's been charged. And, you know, we hear it's under investigation. Well, what does that mean? We don't know, and everything else. And again, I, I'm not, I, I know police work's tough. I'm not saying round up everybody and let's just start executing people. We hear about vague investigation, and there's people that it, it just it troubles me. It, it's tough, and it, it's a bad situation. I wanted to touch on this. Um, obviously, the COVID fight is still continuing in Ohio, across the country, and everything. Um, you know, Mike DeWine does his press conferences on Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, the big thing from yesterday was he was talking about. Um, getting uh, kids back into school. Um, apparently, you know, online learning isn't working well for uh, kids as well as teachers. And they want to have these um, teachers vaccinated by March 1st. And then, you know, you do that, you can open the school. Obviously, there's a lot of questions about, hey, are these vaccines available and everything. Um, Brandon, do you think this is too ambitious? Um, my wife was telling me the other day, she's a teacher in the Columbus area. And she still doesn't know when 
they're coming for vaccinations, um, which he thought was kind of odd because it seems like it's a ambitious deadline, but with the ambitious deadline, there's really nothing in place on what's happening with. I mean, nothing wrong with, little, with targets, with goals. And right. Sometimes it's important to have realistic goals. Um, I remember when I was like in high school and one of these teacher experts was bashing No Child Left, Beca- uh, left Behind Act um, just because the, the goals and the realistics of how, how many percentage of kids and to be experts at or, or, or proficient at reading and math was just unrealistic. I think it, cause it was like a hundred percent. But you know, you know, I don't know what's wrong with reaching for the top to some degree on that sense, but um, um, you know, but yeah, we, we definitely springtime is when I really think we'll start to really fire up um, in the, ter- in terms of um, we're going to see more vaccines become widely available. Um, that's the word, at least from what I'm hearing, it could change. And, but, um, I don't know if we'll necessarily get it, get them in time by March 1st, but we'll start probably seeing them around March is more my take anyway. Well, and it's just for my wife, because they made a decision to continue in person. I know a lot of schools are kind of doing like a little half and half of each, but, I, I don't know. I mean, Craig, you cover some of the schools up in the Northwest Ohio area. Uh, you told me in the past, sometimes there's a little bit of frustration there. Um, are they looking at schools or are they interpreting these as more set, you know, rules? Well, they, you know, the schools want to go back. Um, you know, every time I've asked superintendents about, you know, online learning or hybrid learning, their, their biggest argument is, hey, we know that the best model for these kids to learn is to be in the school, in-person learning. They're ready to go, but, you know, you know we're up in, I'm a, I'm a, I cover smaller school districts, and quite simply, they were not on the list here of all of the schools that were going to be, you know, getting the February 1st dosage, but they're still on track for wanting to open up March 1st. And, you know, a day before the DeWine press conference, you know, the Fremont City School District that I cover, um, they announced that they're going back March 1st. You know, they said, you know, this is what we're doing. And this was before they knew whether they were for sure getting something February 1st or not. And they weren't on the list there. And I asked superintendent and they said, well, they're still, their goal is still the same. And they're hopeful that, you know, maybe they can find a way to, to do this. But you know, we've been talking about shortages of vaccines for since they've started. And this is another example of that shortage where all these schools would love to go back and they signed up to go back. And now it's like, are they going to go back? At least are they going to go back on March 1st? Because you need that month or so in between your, your first dose and your second dose. And if you're not getting it the first week of February, how are you going to be able to get back before the start of March? It just, it's probably not going to make, make any sense when it, when it all unravels, but you know, like Brandon said, it's good to have goals and targets. And, you know, I think as my, as governor DeWine said, you know, they, you know, they, a good, in good faith, they hope that these schools will be able to go back and, and want to go back by March 1st. But a lot of it's going to depend on when they get their dosage. Well, I think it's a good point that Brand made about these are goals. They're not like set rules. Uh, Dispatch Troy, the robotist, made it clear saying, you know, hey, they want March 1st to be the date, but there's no repercussions for the schools. They said, hey, we think we're going to be able to do it. It doesn't work for whatever reason. And I, I'm thinking, too, Brandon, you were talking about like a vaccine schedule. I would hope it, it sounds like, I mean, the new administration's only been in power for what nine days. Um, so, and I, I think the drawback, and again, you could argue politically if it was wise or not, but I think the drawback with not having communication between the old administration and the new administration is people just didn't understand what was going on. So, literally, for a lot of these things with the vaccines, when the Biden administration came into Washington, they were learning on the fly. It was, they really didn't have that much of an idea, but we were at, that, at vaccines. So, unfortunately, there's a little bit of behind this um, with the Biden administration, not necessarily from their fault, but they just have to learn everything from scratch, which makes it tough. So, but I think it, well, Dr. Fauci, I would interject, said that there were there were pl- the pre- there were plans from the previous administration, and there were some sense or idea. I mean, I don't think I think it's a bit in, in misleading to say they were working from scratch, but um, that for the current administration, but um, 
I would say that, um, you know, there's still a lot of still a lot of learning curve. But I think that they they've put out their own targets um, and about like how many people will get vaccinated or or targeted vaccinations right. by. I think I've heard a spring. Maybe I might be wrong on that. Like a hundred million. And some people are speculating this is low by. This is how you do targets: is you lower people's expectations and then knowing you're going to exceed them because that's just good politics there, I suppose. But um, so that's why I'm confident we'll we'll, we'll start seeing this fire up more uh, near the end of the first quarter. Yeah, but I've got to say too, you're right. I mean, the Trump administration was doing something. It wasn't like they just said la di da and just threw vaccines up in the air. Well, their approach was more decentralized, and, and there was right. some communication, contra- communication, right. consistency issues. But other than that, I mean, uh, it wasn't like they were sitting doing nothing. I think that's a little harsh, but um, but, but from a continuity standpoint, okay, one administration was doing something. There were some vaccines getting out there. It wasn't like they were hiding them in their desk or whatever else. But then on the other hand, I think, though, the plan for action wasn't made clear to the next administration. So irregardless, you, you know, you, you've got a little bit of a breakdown when one leaves and one comes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, saying they had to start from scratch, that's probably misleading. But when you don't know what the other place is doing, it's like think about like when our work, like I, I've been the editor someplace. Well, Traditionally, when you come in to be an editor, the old editor isn't around to say, hey, here's what I did not. You have to start from scratch. And it kind of sucks for the current employees because you've got one way and then somebody else comes in, there's entirely another way. You're still getting news out. You're not, you know, there was a plan before and there's a plan afterhand, but there's no idea of a communication from one person to another. Sure. And you have like a week or two of, oh, crap, we're, we're kind of feel like well, we're. I guess, starting. I guess I was I was coming in, chiming in just simply because this was like a big talking point a, a, a while back last week or so when some Biden official anonymously said, oh, we're working from scratch. And then Dr. Fauci and other folks are kind of straighten the record out. No, there, there was right. a plan. I well, thought maybe, I, maybe implementation was an issue, but we're, yeah. we're not working from scratch. I think you got to be careful about how the politics or fr- pol- political sides or players are framing it, but um, but you know, they got their own targets and Dwayne's got his, so we're going to kind of see how it all gels together at the end yeah. of the day. Well, now well, for, well, well, if we're still talking about when are we getting vaccines in, in, in October, we know this was, this was a, um, this was a big failure on their part. Well, yeah, I guess my, my point is maybe from scratch in terms of community together on what the plan is when the next team comes in, they're like, okay, we know what's happening. Let's continue it or let's tweak it based on what we have. You know, I, I guess that's where my thought is because I think irregardless, uh, no matter how successful or unsuccessful the Biden administration would be on this, you're still looking at probably not everyone getting vaccines. What total fall I would imagine. Right. Probably a bulk of them. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I mean, like, um, you know, I, I don't I don't know when a bulk of us will get the vaccine, but I know, like, I'm, we're going to start seeing, I feel, have I, I have think, based on what I've been reading, it's just that we're going to see it ramp up more in the, later, in the, later in the first quarter. I just, oh, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I'm talking what everybody gets them. Yeah, I, I don't know when everyone's going to get them. I don't think, I don't think we're, we're all going to get it by the end of the year. But I do think right. we're going to get it. We're going to get to, and I don't even think we all have to get it. Uh, so me, when I say, when, first of all, let me clarify: we all need to get it. Yeah. But I don't think we're all going to get it by the end of the year, and um, okay. and we ne- and we don't necessarily have to be a hundred percent to beat the virus. I think you know at that point, uh, whatever charge phrase we they the herd immunity or or. Um, other term, other maybe there's a better term for that. That might start kicking in as more people get the virus. Maybe when you get reach seventy percent or ninety five. I know uh, Dr. Fauci threw out a few mixed numbers on that ish on that uh, particular subject. But um, yeah, well, we'll see. It's just a waiting game. Wait and see. And my message for Americans, and you're right. Even this discussion, even though we're not trying to be political, it can easily turn political. Uh, let's root for success. You know, I, I think a lot of times, and I think it's fair to say this, I, I think Trump's not president anymore because I think enough people weren't happy with how he handled COVID. And again, it's a perception. You know, history can tell you if, if he's if it's right or not. But 
I want us to root for success. And because, like, even after Biden took over, I'm already hearing some talk going, well, Biden's not moving quick enough. Biden's not doing a good enough job. And, yeah, politics is going to be there. Don't throw out politics. But let's relax. Let's take steps. And let's root for victory, whoever it might come from, you know, Biden, Trump, or whoever. Let's just kind of root for I want success. I want I want people to be arguing about you know who's right or who's wrong. So, um, couple other things that are happening. Um, we uh, we're being accused. Brandon Jim Jordan is almost becoming like our Julie Andrews. I mean, you know, he comes up every episode and everything else. But hey, Jim Jordan's in the news. Came out. Jim Jordan's not running for U.S. Senate, and he's um, going to stay in the House of Representatives. And you know, we need to start though with our Jim Jordan reporter, and, and we're saying this. We need to clarify real quick, Chris. Sorry, uh, Craig is Jim Jordan whisper. Okay, he was right. he was telling us over guys, he's not going to run. He's not going to run for anything right. except his his own seat. Like he kept telling yeah. us, like, and like we were we were uh, like we were the like we were the political idiots that we are, and that we must bow down to Craig's <laughs> uh, supremacy on the subject. <laughs> Well, if you read this story, and again, you know, things could change. I'm not saying Jim Jordan would lie. It doesn't even sound like he's superintendent and governor. He's like, hey, I'm a, I'm in the U.S. House. I'm good to go. I want to support my people. Uh, what, what's the impression you got of that announcement, Craig? Well, you know, I'm not surprised. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised had he said, yeah, I'm throwing my name into the hat for the senator. But I don't know. I just think... He's comfortable where he's at. He's been there now for quite a while. And he's in a district that it behooves him to run. He's in a very Republican district. If you look at the the gerrymandered line there on his fourth uh, congressional district, it is it is very Republican friendly, and especially in my coverage area in Fremont in Seneca County. And you know, he goes down through Lima all the way down to his hometown in Urbana, and it's just, it, it, it's made for him. You know, you could make the argument that all these congressional districts are made for their congressmen and women, but his especially, you know, he's got some big city, he's got some small city, he's got some rural area, he's got everything in between. So it's it's a great location. He's winning by a consistent, I don't know, maybe 20 points or so almost every time out. So... It really doesn't make sense, I don't think, unless he just felt like, you know, being a senator is more important or, you know, I don't think I don't I never really thought the governor thing was really an, uh, was going to happen because I think of him. I think he kind of looks at himself as someone that can enact change in Washington. And if you're the governor of Ohio, you really don't have any kind of pull when it comes to the Republicans in Washington, D.C. So. I kind of looked at it like if he's going to run for anything else, it's going to be president or vi or he's going to be a vice president. I did not expect him to run for governor at all. And I didn't expect him to, to make the Senate run just because of his sort of his comfort level where he's at. And, and, you know, he has no reason to fear that he's not going to continue, you know, winning terms in this in these races. Well, and to clarify, his quote was talking about the Senate. He didn't make an official <clears throat> statement on governor. And I don't know, maybe we're the podcast, the ones that are mentioning Jim Jordan as a possibility more than other people. Uh, but his quote talks about, I'm solely focused on representing the great people of Ohio's fourth district and won't be running the seat of retiring Senator Rob Portman. And, and again, no one has asked him officially on the record saying, hey, are you running for governor now? They just asked him about the Senate thing. So who knows? Governor thing might be an option down the road. I mean, you still got a year before you make a decision. But right right now, he's still a House of Rep person. Um, Brandon, it was interesting. I didn't bring this up as a topic, but uh, there were some waves in Florida created yesterday because um, Kevin McCarthy, who is the head of the Republicans in the House, went down to see Trump. And they released a statement saying, hey, you know, Trump is going to work with Republicans to try to get the House back in 2022 and everything else. So it sounds like, at least for McCarthy, I mean, I, I guess there's still overtures to the former president to say, hey, stay involved in everything. 
I, I kind of wonder if that happens, if that kind of bodes better for Jim Jordan's chances, because I'm thinking if he runs in a party that still is likes Trump, I think he's got a better chance than if the Republicans kind of pair ways with Trump. Is that the impression you get? Well, McCarthy's visit to Trump, from what pundits and journalists and others have said on the, from the national level, it's... Um, it's more about McCarthy trying to preserve his potential to secure speakership in the future. Um, it's just be embarrassing for him if he lost it a sec, lost his bid a second time. Right. Um, you know, so he's, you know, I think that's more what it's about. I mean, it still seems like the Republican Party is still trying to grapple with the aftermath of the presidential election, and they're still trying to figure out what what their what their party is going to be and. You know, and how with their relationship with with the with former President Donald Trump going forward. I'm, I mean, and we're still, and that's still up in the air as far as you know what his presidential ambitions are going to be like in 2024. Um, as far as the Jim Jordan, I mean, like, uh, what does it mean for Jim Jordan? That you know, right now he's going to continue, uh, you know, just being a, uh, one of those kind of um, right wing. Um, Republicans uh, helping leading the Freedom Caucus, um, you know, to push back against uh, democratic legislation and particularly pro very progressive legislation. I mean, and um, you know, with the with that no compromise mentality. Um, that's I don't know if I don't I don't really have no idea how that, that how these factors will play out over the next four years. Right, and, and I think it's a big thing. And you're right. You know, McCarthy's probably just covering his butt with the Trump visit. But I, I think the interesting thing is going to be is what role does Trump play in the party? And it's interesting. You know, Trump gave I, I would call it a, a threat, saying, "Hey, you know, I might create my own party, like the MAGA party or no, the Patriot party." They backed down from that, and it, which is interesting. They really even said any anyone who starts some sort of pack or, or anything under that Patriot party brand we have nothing to do with it. Partly because I don't think they like to see money going to something that they, they to something that they're not a part of and that they, they kind of started um, or floated the idea. So, well, from what, I, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, sorry. Well, well, tell me if you agree with this, because from what I've heard that threat was as much of he want, he really wants to start a political party he was nervous where, you know, if he got impeached or if Republican Party said, hey, go away, he's got no party to be with unless he wants to be a Democrat again, which he wasn't before. And to me, that, th that was more of a threat saying, hey, are you with me or are you not? And I look at that McCarthy thing as, yeah, he's trying to cover his backside, but if he makes a publicized visit down to see Trump, it almost is saying, hey, you know, Republicans were still in with Trump, you know, and Trump's going to play a big role. And I bring that up in the Jim Jordan thing just to say, if Jim Jordan's going to have any aspirations above where he's at, it's not Senate, but if it's governor or if he runs for president down the road or anything else, it, it would probably be in a party that's sympathetic to Trump. And it sounds like, at least from the McCarthy visit, they're sympathetic to Trump. I mean, am I reading too much into it? I mean, that's kind of the impression I got from yesterday's news, right? I mean, it's a speculation. I don't know. I can't really. I don't really have anything else to add to that. I mean, um, I I think the only thing that I would have to do a little more research about is the, you know, if you're uh, just a congressman, uh, uh, you know, who's only served in the House of Representatives, how many of those kind of candidates in modern political history? I mean, I don't want to necessarily go all the way back to the 1700s, but have successfully made a successful bid for president. Um, you know, I mean. Because and that means you've never held a Senate position, you've never held a governor position. Because senators right. and governors were very prime prime candidates for president. Uh, right. There's just something more, more prestige, more on the Senate side, and more. Well, you have executive experience on the governor side. I, 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 I feel like con it's House of Rep being a House of Representative, a member of that uh, House and Congress, always seemed a little on that and that on that perspective, a little lackluster. So I'm just, I don't know. But then again, yeah. this is the day and age where political experience is sometimes a hindrance, right. not a, not a, um, um, 
not necessarily an asset. So that's how I how I look at it as far as what it are uh, Representative Jordan's aspirations are. And Craig here should be telling, talking, inter chiming in here and saying, guys, you guys. <laughs> Well, anything. you know, you go back to the point of, you know, is is being a House of Representative, does they have enough cachet to get him to to be president? You got to remember, he's very, he's not like your standard. He's not like the forty, the four hundred and thirty fifth member of Congress that no one has ever heard of or knows. People really know who he is, not just in Ohio, because, you know, he's on Fox News quite often. He's always on. TV when you're talking about House of Representatives. I mean, when they're going through, you know, the articles of impeachment with Trump, you know, he was the main person speaking on behalf of the Republicans, you know, allotting time to these uh, other House of Representative That's members. So he is, he's not your typical no name, no one in the party knows who he is. And he's the, the 12th guy from, you know, California or he's the end of the you know end of the road guy from West Virginia. This is a well-known House of Representative member. He's in Ohio. He seems to have a lot of clout. You know, Donald Trump maybe even really boosted him a little bit during his presidency. Um, basically really going out and talking uh, you know, positively on his behalf, was going to award him the Medal of Freedom. So, you know, Jim Jordan may not be your typical House member that has aspirations for president and maybe because of that needs to be a senator or needs to be a governor or whatever it may be. I think he's he's got enough name recognition to where if he wanted to run for president, I think the Republicans would probably at least entertain that. Now, I don't know if he would, you know, depending on who else runs, it, it's hard to say whether or not he would be their guy. But, you know, He's very popular. He's very well known. Maybe not popular is the right word because it's not like if you show everybody a, a photo, even well, in a district that they name, know he's he is, he's got name recognition and yes. um, it's kind of cut from the same cloth. Yeah, I mean, more of a political personality. I mean, it, like in terms of well, you know, they're they're kind of transcend beyond their their congressional district in that sense. I mean, it's the same thing with uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez from her. You know, I mean, it's um. She's got that recognition on Twitter, on social media, and on, you know, maybe not necessarily cable, more than cable news, but she she puts out she's she does a very good job engaging with people outside of her her uh, um, her district. So, yep. and there's always talk of her running in 2024. Now, Chris might like that. Ooh, Jim Jordan versus AOC. Oh and man! Oh yeah! <laughs> Bring me oh, that. And to kind of put a bow on your question about how many members of the House have become president, I'm on the history.house.gov, and it looks like they've had about 19 members of the House that have gone on to be president. Now, that's not to say that they went right from the House to the presidency, but, you know, you're talking about people George H.W. Bush, Gerald Ford, Richard Nixon, LBJ, John F. Kennedy, William McKinley, Garfield, Rutherford B. Hayes up here in Fremont, uh, Andrew Johnson, Lincoln, Buchanan, Pierce, Fillmore, Polk, Tyler, Harrison, Jackson, Quincy Adams, and Madison. So, you know, those are some just uh, well, some names yeah. out there that have they're, served they're, prior to their presidency. Not, not that they transitioned right from there to the presidency, but, you know, it, it gives you an idea that you can – you don't have to just say, well, I'm, I'm a lowly house member. I, I need to, you know, upgrade my, well, my name recognition. I'm just saying, like, I think that's maybe, maybe, and that's why they, they've a lot of house members in the past. I'm curious to see if you're just a house member, you know, maybe you even left, left, left office for some time. It doesn't mean like you go straight into, you, you serve a, a, right. a number of terms and then go run for president. But I, I was just kind of curious of how many, how many of, uh, have made some sort of jump like that without being a senator, without being a governor, or without right. you know being s some other kind of prime position. Um, and that's, I mean, I and or and have and of those who have run, you know, have they got even a nomination? Or like I think even Tim Ryan, I think I might have to look up his political career. I think he's only been a congressman and he ran for president yeah. uh, in the de last primary. So I just wondering if. Um, you know, I don't, don't, I'm not saying it needs to be a requirement, but I would just be kind of 
surprised in that sense. I think it, it does. Jim Jordan, I think, is one of those six few exceptions who probably could pull it off if um, just because he has that name recognition. Well, look at this. I mean, I'm looking at Twitter followers as you guys were um, talking. Uh, Jim Jordan, 1.8 million Twitter followers. Uh, even Mitch McConnell. And again, if you're into the Republicans, you're into Mitch, and Mitch only has 2 million Twitter followers. Kevin McCarthy, who's the head of the Republicans in the House, where um, Jim Jordan resides, only has 1.1 million Twitter followers. And again, I wouldn't take the number of Twitter followers as meaning everything in the world, but that's telling you that Jim Jordan is kind of at least more popular or powerful than a lot of these other guys. I mean, Devin Nunez and Matt uh, Gatz, I believe his name is the Florida guy. They're both pretty popular in the Republican Party. They're under a million Twitter followers. So, I mean, I think Jim Jordan, in terms of popularity, the Republican Party is, is up there pretty much. And again, I, I really think, I, I'm really fascinated over the next year about how involved is Trump in the Republican Party? Because even the Republicans who say, I don't want to be involved with Trump, I think there's still push. Oof. That's why, like Brandon, you're saying, even if like McCarthy didn't like Trump and just wanted to kiss the ring, well, that tells you that Trump still holds sway in the party. I mean, good night. There was a Trump gave a speech, what, two hours later, there's rioting in the Capitol. And this impeachment trial, they have vote the other night to say, hey, is it constitutional that we're having an impeachment trial? 55 people voted no. And I think that's just because, I mean, as a person of morality, that kind of shocks me that people think that even having a trial after that happened is unconstitutional. But I think it really shows that, hey, there's a lot of power still by Trump and the party. And well, I, I think, think it was, wasn't it more like 45? Like, um, 55 Republicans and... Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. 55... 55 said no. Okay, trial not happening. <laughs> right. Oh, but, but the big question there is saying, hey, if... Okay, I take the back. 45 voted no. But the thing is, is saying that if you're going to convict, I mean, you have to have 67 people saying, hey, you know, let's convict him. Well, 45 people say, ah, I'm not even sure if we should have a trial. That's almost saying, hey, look, he's probably not going to get convicted, which to me is kind of crazy that we're kind of dismissing this case like, oh, nothing happened. I mean, I think we need to hear what happened. I, I think the American people need to hear, you know, forget the politics part of it. But I guess what I'm saying is you look at all that stuff happening. I think Trump is still a pretty powerful name in the Republican Party. And, you know, yeah, from a PR perspective, Jim Jordan's like, hey, I'm not running for Senate. I'm representing the great people. I'm wondering if there's plans for Jim Jordan down the road. You know, 2024, maybe. Who knows? You know, if, if Trump is still involved in the Republican Party the same way he, he was and maybe still sort of is. And if he's the, the big the big name that's going to, you know, let's say he endorses someone for president. I would say he's more likely to endorse endorse Jim Jordan than anybody else, um, you know. So, and if he's got the the backing of Trump, that probably boosts his popularity and with with in some circles in the Republican Party. Maybe not, you know, the leadership, but the voting base. I mean, you got to remember, Trump is the the second highest vote getter of all time. If he's putting his money or his his you know support for Jim Jordan or anybody moving forward, it's going to have, it's going to carry a little bit of weight in my opinion. And Jim Jordan has stood behind Trump throughout the impeachment process, both impeachment processes, and just has stood by him, you know, policy wise moving, you know, from the last four years. So I'm not saying he did that on purpose, but I'm just saying that it's going to carry a lot of weight if Trump says, yeah, I'm back in the game. I'm not going to create my own party. I'm going to put my support behind one candidate and it's going to be insert the name. And it's more than likely could be Jim Jordan because of that, you know, and Jordan's not, he's in his mid, he's in his uh, late, well, he's going to be 57 here next month, but um, you know, so he's, he's kind of a, a sneaky prime kind of candidate that, you know, Republic, right. I mean, a lot of Republicans are going to, probably like him because he's sort of an old school approach Republican. So I, I think maybe this is, this is why, I mean, he probably thinks, why would I throw my name in the governor's hat when I could maybe run for president, get the backing of Donald Trump, get the backing of a lot of Republicans that respect me. 
and then go on and we'll see if if Joe Biden has done a good enough job to beat a Republican in, in a few years. Well, and the comeback to that would be then, well, if he ran for Senate, that would give him a lot better stepping off ground. But, you, you know, look at how people look at Jordan even in Ohio. I mean, you either love the guy or you hate the guy. So if he runs for Senate, it's possible he loses. And if he loses in Senate, it probably is a little bit of a black mark if he runs for president 2024. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, if he runs for Senate, does he need to be a senator for one term? Does he need two terms? Does he need three terms? Like what's the I guess my question would be, you know, is he running for senator just to to then make the next step after one term or does he need to have two or three terms? And then now, now all of a sudden you're looking at a guy that's, you know, closer to in his 70s than you are in his 50s when he's sort of like in his prime to kind of be Barack president. Obama was in his first term as yeah. a senator. Yeah before he made the, the job. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it, um, maybe that's, maybe that's what he needs to do. I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if he needs to be a senator I, because of his name recognition already. And if he gets the support of Trump moving forward, you know, especially if Trump maintains popularity in the Republican party, Trump's popularity among the people that voted for him is not going to waver just because he's out of the political scene for a year or two years or three years or whatever. You know, the people that voted for Trump, if Trump says vote for Jim Jordan, I think you're going to get a pretty good percentage of those people that are going to vote for Jim Jordan based on Trump's recommendation. Well, I think uh, well, we'll, we'll find out for sure in two years time in the midterm. Yeah, sure. um, absolutely. Um, it seems like that's going to be, you know, it's going to depend on how many Republicans are going to run, run um, as closely with Trump, you know, like. Um, and the thing about midterms is it's usually the opposing party is the one that, um, uh, has the advantage usually in flipping the house. Um, most people will view it as like keeping a, 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 tr a check on voters. Like for instance, it's one, you're also, it's more about turnout and based on energy and, you know, you're more likely to vote if you're outraged with the with how things are going. <laughs> kind of what set the Obama administration back in 2010 when they lost, you know, after the right uprising of the Tea Party movement and um, what well, well, traditionally they lost the, the house. Traditionally, the other party kind of wins the house. So, I mean, yeah. I, I don't think it's necessarily even an indictment on the Biden administration. The Biden administration could be doing great. And, you know, typically the other party wins. So, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see the Republicans win the house. And again, not from a hope or a, or a political ambition thing. It's more of, you know, it's happened in the past. It's I could say it happened in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it'll be interesting. And again, Craig's almost saying Jim Jordan for president 2024. I'm not, I'm not saying, <laughs> you know, I, I just feel like I kind of, I kind of think that he would, you know, he's going to run for his seat again here in the midterms. He's already got an opponent. Well, no, one Democrat has already stepped up and, and is yeah. going to run. But I, I just, I, I feel like, you know, he might even decide too that he wants to run, get reelected. And then if he wants to decide to make his, uh, you know, play for presidents, you know, for the presidency, then obviously they would be able to appoint someone for that seat, you know, communicates it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that he needs to get any more name recognition than he already does have. Well, and, and look at this too. He's tough. <clears throat> I mean, uh, this wrestling scandal, and yeah, I know I was trying to make wrestling jokes the other day or whatever, <clears throat> but, um, you know, it, it's out there and, you know, people ask him about it, but you never, see Jim Jordan brought up in suits. You know what I mean? Like he's not he's not in front of a jury at all, even with this wrestling thing out there. And you you know, Ohio State and, and Brandon, I'm looking at like when you talk about the Republicans that people are outraged at, you hear Josh Hawley, you hear Ted Cruz. I don't hear Jim Jordan much as much. I mean on Twitter I see all every day, you know, Cruz resigned, you know, you know, Holy resigned. I, I know these guys are senators, but you don't hear as much, I mean, you hear some hate towards Jim Jordan, but you don't see his hate as much. So I, I don't know. I, I've questioned Jim Jordan a lot in this podcast already. Uh, I'm not a huge Jim Jordan fan, but hey, I don't know. He might have a clear path. You know, who knows? It's very interesting. So. For for any house rep, I would pick him. Um, but um, yeah. Um, as one of the likelihood to win presidency. I think the one thing I will point out, I was going to say that's the one, it's like, we weren't the only ones, like, we weren't crazy and talking about 
about this because like after the news came out that Jim wasn't interested, New York Times wrote a piece. Uh, other national yeah. uh, political uh, outlets at least wrote something or put it out on Facebook. I mean, so you know, I think that, that we weren't we weren't crazy. <laughs> I guess it's the only thing I wanted to say. It's this is this was kind of interesting though. Well, you know, it's it, it, obviously we're ambitious about doing a daily podcast. You know, there's a lot of work that we're putting into it, but it helps because we're on top of these stories, guys. I mean, you know, every day it seems you know we were talking about, hey, it's John Hughes said running for you know Senate. Now he's I'm not running, and now Jim Jordan. Brandon, you got to throw out names so, so we can never press release say, saying I'm not running, you know? <laughs> so far, it seems like I think under consideration will be Josh Mandel again and Steve right. Stivers. Um, Pat, oh, and Pat Tiberi rolled out, too. <laughs> we haven't talked, we yeah. never talked about Pat Tiberi. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why Pat needed to roll in. I mean, <laughs> Pat got all politics. Know, right. yeah. it kind of, we all kind of forgot about poor Pat. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> kind of like Mike Coleman. Yeah, Mike Coleman was a noble politician, but I'm not sure. And yeah, like, hey, anytime a seat comes up, every politician you're reaching out to going, "Hey, you're gonna run or not?" But like, you know, Mike Coleman, I'm not sure Pat Tiberi had to make a statement going, "Oh, yeah, I'm not running for Senate." Okay, you got out. Okay, and that doesn't mean you can never get back in. But once you got out, I wasn't really worried as much about you coming back in. Wow. So very, very interesting. Okay, we got about 10 minutes left, and this is a little bit dangerous. Can anybody explain this GameStop to me quick? I, I'm really confused. I've read articles. Right. I can explain it, Chris. Okay, uh, help me out. Please, I'm really confused please, about this. Please go ahead, because, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same so, boat. Um, so the concept of shorting um, a stock or whatever, I guess, or a share, um, is like, let's say – you're a hedge fund, and you go to you go and borrow uh, a share, a GameStop share. Um, you borrow several or whatever, and they're all worth like let's say each each, each share is worth ten dollars. You go and sell that share immediately, in the hopes that that share's value will go down. Then you buy that share back for seven dollars. You give okay. that share back then to who you borrow it, and you pocket the difference of three dollars profit. What happens if that share goes um, goes up? Well, you're not making money. You're now making a loss. Um, so, what happened was though is that you know um, that this kind of activity uh, was being detected by people on Reddit, re or who are who are all probably retail investors. I guess basically anyone you know who uses Robinhood app or other kind of platform. They all saw that hedge fund was was doing this kind of activity on Wall Street and um, wanted to stick it to the man, I guess. So they all said, "Let's all buy GameStop stops uh, uh, shares," and that what happens? It raises the value of the share. Now the hedge fund has to scramble and, and kind of you know close out this options or however they needed to get hand on it. But that of course only raises the value of the GameStop value even more. Um, and therefore, it was. It got to the point where the value was so high, and that they borrowed so many shares that you know it was worth more than what the hedge fund was valued at. It went bankrupt, and this kind of activity started going. It went to repeated with AMC and um, other kind of companies that aren't really doing well uh, in it, physically or in the economy. So um, it doesn't seem like, as far as like the motivations behind it, it seems more. It was more of a let's go after the hedge fund from what I'm understanding, but there might be some opportunity to make some money. Now, what happened, though, was is that a lot of these wealthy wealthy elites or whoever people in general might say, well, this isn't really really polite or nice to, you know, um, hedge funds or going, you know, kind of like the vindictiveness of it, I suppose, is they don't like about it. So they wanted to make this kind of activity illegal where no one should be able to go on the Reddit board and say, hey, let's all buy GameStop share. Um, and so, uh, it's kind of like a pump and dump, but not, not exactly. Did it affect GameStop or AMC at all? Um, as far as, as far as what like it means money they have company, coming in or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that would transfer over, roll over to these companies, whether it would keep them afloat or, or, um, 
you know, maybe it has some impact on them. That's the thing. That's why people say the stock market doesn't really reflect the economy, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah I guess that's my takeaway from this whole thing. It's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's odd on that front. I don't know what it means for these companies. Maybe it might be a good thing to help them keep afloat or something. Well, and that was a big talking point with the past administration. Going, oh, the stock market's up, the stock market's up. And I'm like, I don't play the stock market. I mean, maybe I should. Maybe that's why I don't have money. But I, I look, I, I'm not sure what impact it's having. And I'm looking at it as in, you know, in our lines of work, we've dealt with hedge fund owners. <laughs> I won't say too much else about it. Um, you know, we have, we deal with people like that. And I, I'm just like, I don't know. It, it seems like a different world. I don't know. I, I mean, do you say impact, Craig, from this, you know, from business? Yeah, I mean, I think Brandon explained it well, and I'm glad he explained it uh, because yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily understand all the ins and outs of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to have a huge impact uh, on on GameStop. I always I found it funny. I was looking through some things, and um, there were people on TikTok that were uh, kind of poking fun at GameStop, who is notorious for lowballing you when you uh, trade in games and things right. like that. Some, you know, saying, hey, we're going to give you these stocks back and, and you know, oh, we'll give you $73 for all 2,000 shares or whatever. And he's like, well, that's less than a single share of it. Well, that's the way GameStop is, you know. So I don't know what, what kind of impact this will have, but I think it's, you know, it does kind of speak to a bigger picture of maybe the stock market not really reflecting the economy as a whole. Um, I was interested, though. Michael Burry was uh, among those who was buying up stock, and he is famous for the um, – Buying up the housing market when the housing the, the when the housing market crashed, he was the, the movie The Big Short was uh, really made after him. Um, he was you know in on the you know shorting the housing market. So um, yeah, it's kind of interesting that he gets involved in this, and you know obviously a lot of other people did too. But uh, it was it's strange to see. I think it's still trading at like a hundred and ninety dollars or something like that too. So it is kind of you kind of wonder like, do you get in on it? Do you not get in on it? Do you get rid of it if you have it? So. I guess you have to talk to your broker about uh, what to do if I mean, you have stop stock. The thing is, Robinhood, though, uh, another wrinkle of the story is it's just it kind of put a freeze on what you could on whether I'm not sure whether you could sell or buy GameStop. Sad, I think you may not be able to sell it, but okay. um, or or buy it. One of the others, uh, fact check me. But I think that's what people are up kind of. In, from a political standpoint are frustrated about it. it's like wait the retail investor the common man can't um do what a hedge fund can still do um like or that certain people on wall street can do um and that just seems like it's an unfair playing field um, well, from a political side i mean i guess like ted cruz and aoc were both criticizing it. so hey this has brought political enemies together it's great uh, yeah well, she, she didn't hang in went in and said i don't want your i don't want your agreement right i was just like oh all right i'm just like you know ted cruz is not going to be her running mate in 2024 needless to say <laughs> i think it'd be a great story i mean ted's married and i'm all for marriages to continue so i don't want ted and his wife to get divorced or anything but say you know in the future they're both single wouldn't it be great if ted and AOC got married down the road? i don't know well, they'd have a new. A new I think about stuff like this. What are you against each other? It's not enough, Chris. What's that? <laughs> he just wants to, ship all the, he wants to ship all the politicians. Yeah, that would, that would be like the new version of the Odd Couple. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe CBS could pick up those rights or something if they like. A real, well, James Carville and oh Mary, I can't remember her last name. Uh, yeah, James Carville was a advisor to Clinton, and Mary. I think Malin, that's our name, but uh, no, his wife is a very staunch Republican. Yeah, Mary Malin. His wife's a very staunch Republican. Now, they're not running for office. They're not in high up positions like Ted and AFC are, but, you know, they're married. They, they very clearly don't get along in politics. I, mean, I don't know. I think weird stuff like that. And I also think, too, I'm a nerd. I still play video games from time to time. So GameStop caught my attention because I spent money in GameStop in the past. And, I'm thinking GameStop could utilize this as a great PR tool. Have a big like 75% off sale or something. I'm mean, there in the news. 
Other than nerds like me, no one cared about GameStop. And GameStop's a tough company because right now you can buy your games off Amazon and other places. Take advantage of a GameStop. You know, now you might become relevant again. I, I don't know if you, if you ever walk into GameStop lately. It's funny. It used to be all video games. Now they're selling toys. They're selling other stuff. You wouldn't recognize games. They, they need to do that, though. They need to do right, that. Right. I mean, now, you know, PlayStation 5 literally came out with an all-digital-only version. Right. So GameStop needs to, to try to do anything they can. Maybe maybe this will help them. I don't know. but Well, and during COVID, why would you go inside the store and <clears throat> touch a bunch of discs. Yeah, it just doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't seem that healthy. I know uh, I think when the COVID first started, I actually bought something off GameStop and they literally had this deal where you could buy it online, you go to the store, they come out with a glove on and give you the disc. It, it's kind of weird. It's very, very strange. So, Hey, one other point before we end and I know we're going a little bit long. Um, am I a dork? I, I'm, I'm over Bernie Sanders memes. Are you guys down? I mean, we all hate each other politically. I guess it brought our country together because Bernie Sanders was wearing mittens and kind of wearing a ridiculous outfit during the inauguration. I, I guess it was fun after the first day or two, but on Facebook, I'm still seeing everyone's posting their Bernie Sanders memes. Are you guys sick of it? No, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean... You know, if if even if you are, you can just keep scrolling or whatever. But you no, know, I don't. I don't think I'm over it. I think it's it's kind of funny, and even he's taken advantage of it too, which is actually kind of funny that he's acknowledged that this exists. And you know, he's you know they got the sweaters and you know the shirts and stuff like that that you can buy. So no, I don't, I don't think I'm sick of it. Brandon Bernie Sanders has always been a simple guy, you know, a guy who you know doesn't flaunt wealth and everything. He dresses simple and everything else. And I feel like we're making fun of Bernie Sanders. I don't, it just feels weird. Yeah, I mean, like it's just part of Bernie's charm. I mean, yeah. um, you know, when I've um, you know, like if Barack Obama, with the way he speaks, is could be called poetry. Bernie Sanders is just straight up, straightforward prose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and um, he, is who he is. And it's it's not fancy. It's not it's not um, it's not sexy or any way. It's just straight up, you know, my honest to god opinion. Um, um, as as John Boehner, former speaker, Republican speaker, says. Bernie's the most probably, I think he said, paraphrasing a little bit, but probably the most honest guy. He really believes all this crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> work. Um, it's just kind of part of his charm, I would say. Yeah, I definitely, I'm not a fan of Bernie. I don't agree with Bernie's uh, politics a lot, but I, I looked at that as, that's Bernie. And, you know, and I, I guess there was some humor to it, but that's Bernie. I mean, it's not like Bernie did something crazy and different. I, I'll tell you, four years ago at the inauguration, when Trump was inaugurated, I think it was great because George W. Bush is a crazy, wacky guy. And, you know, you, you could argue either way on if he was a good leader or not. But did you see that where he was filling with a poncho? I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know if that ever became a meme, but that, that could be a meme today. I'd still be laughing four years later. Bernie, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, a little funny, but hey, that's Bernie Sanders. I mean, you know, I, it's more truth than humor, I guess. I don't it's, know. it's made some money, too. Uh, $1.8 million for uh, charities in, Ver in Vermont. So the, the mittens and his meme have really uh, sort of paid off, I guess, based on this uh, Associated Press story that I'm seeing about it. I'll say this like four years of Trump's and whatever whatever you thought of his his ac actions on Twitter were like and however right. made you feel that day whether happy outraged sad depressed you know this this kind of I'll take this kind of political fun kind of fun political meme I mean like even people have said like even this has pierced penetrated a political Twitter I guess or people who may not normally pay attention to this they're like have you seen this <laughs> um, yeah, Lighthearted, weird way. Yeah, I've become happier lately. Where I'm like, hey, if it, if it's you, it's you. Like, if we did this 10, 15 years ago, if Craig was like, yeah, bring on the Bernie memes, I'd be like, no, Craig, stop <laughs> it. And now I'm like, hey, whatever. You know, <laughs> if you like look at Bernie Sanders memes, great. I might just start scrolling. I, it's fine. It's just, 
to me, it, the joke wore off. But hey, to each of them. I mean, yeah. there's jokes I still laugh at that have worn off a long time ago. So hey, some mean some mean stay around forever. Whether it's yeah. the Spider Spider-Man pointing at each other, um, yeah. you know, name your meme, I guess, like the dancing kid on the table or the baby that goes, yes. I, yeah, I go off. I think this has some staying power. I think it's, I think it'll have some staying power. Well, I, I, I am a big hypocrite because at work we have our Microsoft Teams where we can communicate back and forth. And I'm on a team of 12 people, and it's vital for us because, I mean, everything we do, we have to say something. Well, when I come in and when I leave, I'm usually the guy that does a little meme, like, hey, how's it going? And I'll have somebody waving and everything. I did use a Bernie Sanders meme once when I was leaving. So, Is it like you could use that, say, waiting for a story like, and then – you know, you've got Bernie doing his little thing, so maybe you could uh, use that uh, to your advantage a couple times. Well, I'm one of the older people on the team, so I kind of use that to say, uh, here's a live look at me, you know, tonight. Because I'm the old guy that sits there and I might you get could the Steve Buscemi, hello, fellow, fellow kids, when he's, like, trying to be an undercover, you know, high school student. Steve Buscemi's, like, in his 50s, and, yeah, I don't know if you've seen that one, but you could do that when you're on teams, like, hello, fellow kids. Yeah, I'm new to this meme thing. I, I know I'm I'm the get off my lawn guy, but I, I've got a, to. There's younger there's people on my a, team I've got to relate to. There's gonna be an art museum one day of of the history of memes. Yeah, they'll have like probably you'll maybe they'll have a Bernie exhibition. All the Bernie, all the Bernie, all the ways people use Bernie's uh, mittens. Vote well, I mean, mittens. He's been used as like a cake See, a, decoration. I mean, he's been used as everything, you know, cake decorations and cr someone crocheted it, a little tiny version of it. So, yeah, it's like everybody's using it. And maybe I'm jealous. I, I stick at Photoshop, so I can't do my own Bernie memes. So I don't know. It, they, they put Bernie into a scene from Seinfeld. I'm not sure how they did that. They kind of Photoshopped him into a like live scene. I don't know. People are talented. I'm not. So <laughs> I, I guess it's all good. All right, anything else we want to mention before we close for the day? No. All right, well, everyone, have a good weekend. It's the weekend between the Super Bowl. There's no football to watch. I, I guess there's no Pro Bowl because yeah. of COVID. They have some virtual Pro Bowls, so I don't know if we're playing a video game with the Madden, Pro Bowl people. Yeah. I think they might be playing Madden or something. Wow. Yeah. I like Madden, but I'm not going to watch that. I, I don't know why we're we're doing this. I, mean, I guess we need something to show on TV. Uh, Brandon, anything you're watching this weekend? I, I don't think you're watching uh, a virtual Pro Bowl. Or <laughs> it doesn't sound like Mike, try to catch the Manchester City game. <laughs> okay. Are, are those Saturday mornings still? Or? Yeah, the Premier League mornings. Gotta love them. My wife I mean, doesn't. But. <laughs> uh, the last couple of weeks of NBC Sports, right? <laughs> Good. Yeah, NBC Sports probably. Um, okay. You know, well, we'll enjoy it while until the end of the year. I yeah, suppose. enjoy it while it lasts. You got <laughs> you got invest your time. It'll be good. All right. Well, thanks. We'll be back on Monday with a lot more stuff to talk about. I always think, man, what are we going to talk about? But the news never disappoints. Believe me, there'll be five hundred things happening between now and Monday morning. So. Hey, for Brandon and Craig, it's the Ohioan. We'll see you Monday. Thanks again for everything. Have a great day. Bye-bye.